you can be continually updating a job description and a corresponding list of standard operating procedures for each and every task within that role. So welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Hebercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Mason McDonald, and along with me is my co-host, Dan Haverkost, and this is the Big Picture Blueprint. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about what it's like uh, being a full-time investor and kind of what that transition feels like going from the corporate employee to being both a owner and an operator and an employee and all of the struggles and challenges and techniques that we've used uh, to be effective in our businesses. But uh, before we get into that, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mason. It's a new year. Business is booming and I'm excited to just keep expanding the business, really. Absolutely. I I think that's what uh, today is going to be talking about. Dan has been doing this longer than I have. And um, I think that the way you manage yourself is one of the most important things whenever you are an owner operator in your business, because you have so much conflicting advice you hear all the time of working in the business versus working on the business versus being an owner or an an employee. And uh, I think a lot of times people are not giving very practical advice whenever it comes to it. Yeah. I I remember when I left my last job in 2019, it was June, 2019. And all of a sudden, I didn't have to be anywhere at any specific time. And it took me a while to figure out how to effectively self-regulate given complete freedom. And so that's really what this is about. You know, I, I was I, talking to a couple guys I know who recently got their business to the point where they left their traditional day job. And I know they're struggling with that a little bit. I'm thinking of them as we make this. So how do you bifurcate your time to to you know employee Dan versus versus business owner Dan where on this side you're setting the goals and then the corresponding tasks for your employee self and then setting aside time to execute those things on a certain time frame uh, and never never miss and so Mason do you want to kind of get into how, how you go about that yeah absolutely and Dan I think you and myself and most people experience that same thing. It's uh, the kid on summer vacation where I woke up and it was a it was a Wednesday actually uh, was my first non-employee day and that was almost two years ago to the day uh, we're recording this in January of 2024 and I had you know my vision board and I had all the grandiose goals of how I was going to make 400 million dollars in the next. Uh, six months. And um, what I did was nothing. I didn't do anything. I sat on the couch and I played video games and I just enjoyed relaxing. And then I ended up doing that for a lot longer than expected, um, which is not a great way to transition from running a gigantic organization. But I think, uh, you know, give yourself the benefit of the doubt and give yourself some grace whenever you make that transition. But Dan, the, w- the way I approach it is... Um, I start my day with the most important thing. And uh, for me, I mean, that's my relationship. And uh, every morning my wife and I wake up and we do coffee together. And after that, that's whenever I really get my day going. And I think to add more complexity to your question and uh, make a long answer longer, uh, I think it starts with the day before. 
I like to end my day uh, figuring out what the uh, highest and best use of my time uh, will be the next day. Um, but beyond that, what tasks I need to accomplish the next day? Because I start my day off with whatever is most important by I need to get this done today. And I that's how that's how my morning goes. So whether that is communicating with title companies about closing coordination or uh, pulling data for my next mailers or communicating with a lender about the status of a deal or something like that. Um, those are the, th the things that I try to knock out first thing in the morning. Uh, but what about you, Dan? Well, I want to even take a step back because how I know what I'm going to do the next day goes to the sheet that you and I fill out every week. So Monday mornings, the first meeting I have is with Mason, and we have a sheet where we lay out our yearly goals. We break them down into quarterly, and then we have all the lead metrics for those goals. And we talked about this, but really simply for anyone that doesn't know, easy example would be if I want to lose body fat, the lead metric would be exercising, dieting, et cetera. Lag metric is I step on the scale, I've lost body fat. And so in our business, the lead metrics tend to be around sending mailers or cold calls or training employees, that sort of thing. And so for me, I look at my week on Saturday or Sunday, Friday, you know, maybe the prior Friday if I'm gone all weekend, and I take the sheet I'm referring to, I think it's just called the accountability, I don't even know we have a name, accountability sheet or something like that. And I say, okay, given all these goals for this quarter, what are all the lead net metrics I need to hit for next week to be on track? And I put them on my calendar. So those are the absolutely essential items I have to do. And Something that I really want to emphasize here is these aren't pressing in that, oh, I'm going to have a deal fall apart tomorrow if I don't do them, but they're pressing in that 90 days from now or six months from now, I'm going to be screwed if I don't hit these metrics. And this point is so key because it's easy to let you know that closing on Wednesday and the title agent calling you or the realtor calling you and there's, there's problems with it, letting that fire stop you from doing the things that are going to ensure you're successful three, six, nine months from now. And so the whole point of that sheet and this sort of planning that I'm, I'm describing is not allowing the constant day-to-day -day fires stop you from doing the big tasks that are going to get you to the long-term goals that you're aiming towards. And so that's how I, I, I start. My planning is by all those lead measures that get me the long-term lag measure being on my calendar. Agreed. And I think calendar management and just, uh, we're, we're very simple creatures, uh, in the words of Michael Scott, estimate yourself. And it is super crucial to recognize that all of the distractions that Dan's talking about, the crisis management, the fighting fires, that's why organizations live in this spider flight adrenal response yeah. mode for decades where admit it or not, I worked in healthcare and nurses and nurse leadership and uh, all sorts of clinical leadership would be like, man, I feel like we're running around with our chicken or like chickens with our head cut off. It feels like it's always on fire. And if you sit down and you give them a glass of wine and you have the real conversation and you say, but do you like it that way? They love it. They mm -hmm. love the thrill of it. And I think that a lot of times that as employees, uh, people are used to being in that type of environment. And so what you need to do is exactly like Dan said, I'm looking at our, our sheet that it's accountability tracking and it's going back on about over a year now of Dan and I doing this together every single Monday. And 
Uh, so it's fun to be able to go back and look at what, what you're doing and what you're not doing and being able to track that data as well. But I think the more you can automate uh, within your business of, I know that every week or every day or every month, I am going to be doing these things and I have an accountability partner that is going to uh, hold me accountable for it. Um, I think that right there, it reduces the complexity of business ownership because if you do these five things every week, you know that your business is going to continue moving forward. So I think sometimes you forget how important those basic, basic tasks are. Uh, but by having this and having it on your calendar and knowing that I'm going to start my morning, I'm going to get this taken care of, and then I'm done for the week on that. And then I can move on to the next uh, highest priority. So I think following that, Dan, uh, the accountability sheet and the lead metrics and everything, kind of how do you how do you move on throughout the day? Yeah, so when I'm doing that planning, when I'm looking at that sheet, I think of myself as being the business owner, setting the task for employee Dan throughout the week who has to execute these things. And so throughout the week, I set the essential things early in the morning before fires are a problem, right? You know, title companies don't open until 9 a.m., which is 7 a.m. here, but I, I usually start pretty early. And so sending and pu pulling and sending mail, those really essential things, I always get those done early in the morning before all the problems arise and people are calling me, whether it's you know my property manager or an acquisition manager, or one of my title agents. Uh, and that way by most days, nine o'clock, my most essential tasks for the long-term goals are all done. And then it's more mundane stuff from there, whether it's you know going and, and dealing with getting docs notarized for closings and uh, whatever it might be. But I structure it so that essential things are all done early in the morning, and then I'm good to fight fires, so to speak, throughout the day. Uh, but I also don't like to work that much, so I'm usually done by you know lunchtime. I, I don't eat until noon most days, and so usually all the work I have to do is done. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Dan, I, I think that's something similar that I do in my business, and I think uh, it's 2024, new year, new me. Um, I'm trying to get even more aggressive and better about it, where... The, the beautiful thing about our business is it's, it's really simple for the most part of the most important uh, lead generation source that we have is direct mail marketing. And the great thing about direct mail marketing and the systems that we use, which we, use, we both use Pebble in our business, I can set a drip campaign. So I'm setting myself up in 2024. So where instead of focusing on every week, I need to do this many mailings on the first week of every single month. I am going to get all of ma my mailings completed for the entirety of the month. And then I will spend weeks two, three, and four of each week focusing on choosing the markets and uh, examining the data and preparing for the next, the next month's mailing. And I think that's just a kind of more monthly approach of it. Of I used to be this way uh, whenever I was, I don't know, a good student, like maybe ninth grade or 10th grade, where... I would try and get all my homework done for as long out as possible for weeks or months in advance so I didn't have to do anything uh, at all. Um, and I think that approach uh, can be applied here of, um, I think uh, with being the owner and being the employee as well, and Dan and I both have employees, but we also treat ourselves as employees. You have to shift your mindset at some point throughout the day or week or month or year of being, uh, being the owner of what is the direction that this company is moving towards. And Dan, I'm interested in your approach of how do you shift from doing the stuff that you and I hate, that we stomp our feet about of yeah. bookkeeping or 
data pulls or responding to title companies or transaction coordination that we still have to do in our business um, because it's important we do it in our business and it needs to get done to being that vision setting CEO. Yeah, for me, I have to get out of my day-to-day context generally to be able to, to think like that. Uh, so, I mean, it's easy. I travel usually a couple times a month and usually, you know, I'm going to drive to Phoenix on, on Sunday. And for me, I love long drives like that. And that's when I uh, uh, tend to think about these things and kind of get out very, very much get out of the day-to-day mindset and, and start to think about, you know, two, three, 10 years from now, what are the big things I'm working on and um, that I need to be planning for and, and hitting lead measures on? So again, for me, that's usually just going up in the mountains or going to the ocean or traveling somewhere where I do that. And I try to kind of reevaluate each quarter. I look back, all right, this is what I was supposed to hit. This, this, these were the goals. Did I come anywhere near them? Were these the right goals? Do I need to shift going forward? Um, so yeah, it's just not being in my, my office that I'm in every day, you know, getting out of the normal context. What about you? Well, I, I agree of, um, I, I have my best ideas, uh, typically out of the context of my day-to-day job. Um, I try to, psychologically speaking, um, I, I don't do anything in my office besides work or read. Uh, I don't have fun in my office. And I think that, uh, the more I can be in, a flow state, but also being able to get by myself and have silent time, whether it's going on a walk or going skiing or even Dan, you, you and I going to the gym in the afternoons of, depending on the day that we've had, if we've been employees from 5 a.m. to 3 p.m., uh, which is rare that we are uh, that good of employees, our gym conversations are uh, not good. Uh, and usually it's just silence. Um, but if we've had good work days, I feel like some of the best ideas yeah. uh, happen whenever we're uh, working our body. But I want you, um, I'm looking, uh, since we share calendars, I'm trying to find it on your calendar. I know that towards the end of the month, you usually have a few questions that you ask yourself. And I, I feel like it'd be useful to share what those questions are that you ask yourself at the end of every month or quarter, or whatever it is. Okay. Uh, I got this. I don't remember from who. I found this on social media. I found it to be very useful because if you don't stop, like Mason's saying, step out and look at what you've been doing. Am I actually working towards the things I want to accomplish? Or are the things that I think are getting me there, are they actually getting me there? You got to measure. And so I have a monthly check-in on my calendar for the final Friday of the month. And the first question is, what really matters in life? Am I dedicating the necessary energy to it? And business is not at the top of that list. Are my current systems and habits aligned with my long-term goals? (laughs) What do I need to cut from my life to operate more efficiently? That's a good one. Um, I have some more aggressive ones I put in there for myself uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll brush over. But the last one is, what are you avoiding that you know you need to do? And that one always gets me because we always have stuff that we know we know we need to do, but we're avoiding. You know, I, I had to let someone go last week, and I know I probably should have done that a month ago. And it's not fun to to do that, but uh, asking yourself that question helps to you know create some self awareness and go and handle the things you need to handle. So I have found those four questions to be incredibly valuable, and they help keep me on track uh, each month. Absolutely. And I, I think it's a really great practice to get into and asking yourself those questions really gets you to operate at the highest level within your business and be very, very honest with yourself and um, figuring out why you're not doing those things that you should be doing. 
Um, and the, the answer is the, the typical things of self-consciousness or discomfort or what, whatever it typically is. But I think, um, the, the point that I'm trying to make is you hear it on all the other podcasts. If you read the book traction of, and focus on working in the business versus on the business is, uh, there's a reason there's one CEO and tons and tons of employees is it's very difficult to actually get out of that employee mindset and really focus on the direction that you need to be moving in your business. And I think what's even more difficult than that is you can't just be this visionary that sets these grandiose or delusional goals in your company and doesn't have the ability to execute on them. And I think that's why we're focusing so much on that employee part at the beginning of the day and why we think it's, both of us agree of, it's very important to be an employee in your business um, as you are transitioning. Dan and I are both in our 20s. Uh, we realize we're young and dumb and uh, still have a lot to figure out. But hearing that people should just jump into business and be an owner and not have any idea of how the operations of the company work and uh, what it takes, um, I see so much more consistent failure and frustration uh, with the employees of organizations where the owner or uh, executive have not done that job. So I think um, being able to shift those roles and try not to operate it's kind of hard to explain, but you should be kind of two different people in your organization. No, I'm glad you brought this up uh, because it's so idealized in in po the podcast world and the the business self help world about working on the business, not in the business, and that's just not reality for a long time. Anybody who owns a business will tell you that is not reality. You know, we interviewed Pete Reese a couple of months ago, and I remember him saying, "Look, I'm in a season of, of growth right now. I, I work like." 12 hours a day. And uh, I forget, he said it on the podcast, but he's building something big. And so he's working a lot in his business. And it's just not reality to have everything offloaded until you have a really substantial amount of revenue. And then also until you have fully grasped how to do each and every, each and every task within your business. Because like you just said, Mason, you know, if I hadn't closed the first, I don't know, 40 deals, how could I have hired an acquisition manager? How can I train them and know what sellers are going to be saying? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I just, I think there's so much bullshit repeated on podcasts over and over again. And this is one of those things. It's just not realistic in the beginning or the first couple of years. I mean, every business is different, but uh, you're going to need a lot of different employees and you're going to need to know how to train them and then put someone in place to train them. And you can't do that if you haven't done it yourself. Exactly. And I, I think that's something funny that I, that I see and hear on podcasts a lot of where you hear of the, the 24, 25 year old that has had tremendous amounts of success and I'm not denying their success. Although, you know, every, everyone has clout that they're trying to gain and trying to get cred and all the, uh, they're, they're trying to look really cool to everyone. But when I hear someone young and we're, we're young, we recognize that we might sound hypocritical with this, that they say their, their best talent is hiring people and creating a good team. It's like, well, how many, how many people have you hired? How many teams have you managed? I'm not of the mindset of you have to have decades of experience to do it, but oh, this is your first person you've hired. You're not good at hiring. You got lucky. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, recognizing that it does take time to get good at something and that if, just like Dan said, if you don't understand fundamentally the operations of your business, you're not going to be able to train someone effectively. Now, say you have a tremendous amount of money. Uh, you're able to put people in those positions that can train people that know all of this. But 
Once again, if you are attempting to build something big and you have the bandwidth and capital available to create a team that that's that is that large, uh, the most important aspect of it is going to be the culture of the organization and what kind of culture are you setting if you are just some guy that no one really knows that owns the company. And that's not setting yourself up for long-term growth. Yeah, you know, to that to that end, something that I'm doing actively, I think you are too, Mason, and that all of you can be doing is when you're in that time where you're fulfilling what will eventually be a role you hire out, you can be continually updating a job description and a corresponding list of standard operating procedures for each and every task within that role. So on my calendar for Fridays, I update, I have a weekly process improvement, uh, 30 minutes on Friday where we, I update SOPs, right? From an acquisition manager, hiring a transaction coordinator is, is the next step along with the acquisition managers here. And I'm working on building out that job description and all the SOPs that go with that. And so even though I still do a lot within my own business, I have all the standard operating procedures built out for everything. And so when I do go to hire an admin, which is on my list for Q1, the whole job description is built out and everything that I need to hand them day one is ready. And so start doing this ahead of time. Even if you're not ready to hire, start recording everything you're doing. I, I don't like the, well, do it once and then offload it. Cause again, that's, that's, how many people that actually own successful businesses have done that? No, it tends to be people that are full of shit. You're going to have to do it a lot of times, but you can start the SOP so that you can then modify and improve it as you go each iteration and eventually hire someone for everything you're doing, but not right off. Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, we, we, we've talked a little bit about the approach to our day of starting the day with the highest priority tasks, uh, whether that's focusing on the lead measures of the business or just getting the things done that you need to get done. And then for the working on the business, we talk about kind of getting out of that environment. And then just in general with the operation of the business, what Dana's saying is absolutely crucial where everything that you're doing, whether you hate it or love it or suck at it or, or are great at it, uh, you need to be documenting it because if you're expecting growth within your organization, that right there is what you're going to be focusing on, where just like Dan said, with the creation of the job description for the admin or transaction coordinator, where him and I actually have shared documents on this, where you know what those tasks are, are the ones that Dan and I hate doing. That's whenever we update it of, holy crap, I just spent two hours of my day going back and forth with this title company about this issue here that was very simple, but... I'm the person in that role that needs to be doing that. And so whenever you have those moments of, okay, this is a simple task that needs to be offloaded at some point because it took time away from me being able to actually go focus on some of these other things, um, document it. And the more documentation that you have, the more that uh, you are editing and recognizing that your business is a, it's an entity. And uh, the United States treats entities as people. So view it as a living thing. Uh, all of your documents should be living. Um, there is no process or standard operating procedure that shouldn't be getting reviewed on a consistent basis because the markets change. Your process should be coming more and more efficient. Um, if you don't feel like, if you feel like you've created the perfect process, fantastic. Share it with us. Uh, you have her contact information, but I think the more time you can be spending, especially towards the end of the week or the end of the month, 
on going back in arrears and uh, really modifying and editing your workflow. It will greatly improve the next week, the next month, the next year as a business owner. Agreed 100%. I'm glad you brought up looking back. We hit on this a little bit, but you know, last week I spent a good amount of time looking at every closed deal from the last six-ish months and getting a better handle on what markets are producing and aren't producing, you know, versus mail and cold calling. And this was very worthwhile because I did not realize the degree to which cold calling is, well, short answer, we're getting just as many deals from cold calls as from mail. And I didn't realize that. And so I'm glad that I took the time to look back and figure that out because while the overhead attached to cold calling is far less than the overhead attached to, to mail and a lot of our best deals came from it. And so it's interesting, uh, but you have to also, uh, along this, this whole conversation, in your time where, where you're operating more as the owner, you have to set aside time to look back in arrears, as you said, Mason, and get a handle on your numbers around whatever your marketing strategy is, your return on, on, you know, return on marketing spend, how long it's taking. Because I also saw, oh, our mail, this is surprising to me, but more often than not, mail leads take far longer to close than cold call leads. So I don't know, but it, it, it's it's important that I take the time to, to do that. And so putting on the business owner hat and keeping track of your lead measures and reanalyzing to see what has and hasn't changed is so essential to be able to set the, the vision going forward. Well, and Dan, on that, I want you to emphasize how much data are you looking at? Oh, that was over six months of data, and I'm sending 10,000 mailers a month. Uh, so we're talking, you know, 60-ish thousand mailers and uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of cold calls. So that right there, I think, is something that uh, for those of you guys that are hearing, hey, these documents are living documents, your processes should be evolving and getting better. Uh, what we are not suggesting is the things that work, the lead metrics that you set or that Dan and I are talking about that we hold each other accountable to in our businesses, it takes time to get data or your sample size is, well, you know, I saw that last month I sent 1,200 mailers and um, I think I need to modify my strategy. It's useless information. Useless. And six months, uh, to be honest, and Dan, Dan would agree with this, uh, six months is not very much time either. No. Um, and as we look at market conditions and changes in markets and uh, updating our strategies and everything like that, Dan doesn't just, Dan can look back at six months because six months ago, he was looking at the previous six months and six months before that, the same thing of he's got years and years of data and strategy of, hey, right now, what we're seeing is this. However, my guess is because I can see it because we hold each other accountable you're not adapting your mailing strategy by any means of, okay, well, cold calling, we're getting more deals from cold calling right now. So I'm going to stop sending mail or I'm going to reduce my mail count by 70% and focus all of our energy on cold calling. Because the beautiful thing about a strategy where it's click it and done is it is, while it is more expensive, it is not time intensive at all. So I think um, that's just more of a strategic point and a recognition of you should be looking in arrears, but make sure your data is actually substantial enough. Yeah. Oh, this is something I could rant about for hours. Just basic statistics, guys. If you hear Mason say, oh, it's about a thousand mailers to get a deal. That does not mean you send a thousand mail mailers and get a deal. It means on average, you send a thousand mailers and get a deal. So you might need to go send 
6,000 mailers to get your first deal. And then mailers, you know, 6,001 through 10,000 gets you another eight deals, right? Averages are not reality unless you're doing a very, very, very high volume. So guys, if you're new, please keep this in mind, right? Progression to the mean, law of large numbers. Look these things up, understand them because number one, they're abused all the time in, in politics and business and by people who are trying to sell you something. And then number two, if you don't understand them, you can have uh, your expectations, just nothing uh, meets your expectations because again, it's only in the long run that you get that average. Exactly. Where, you know, you're, you're right, Dan. That's what I say is about a thousand ish mailers per deal. Uh, so that's a hundred deals over a hundred thousand mailers. But the, the way it works is, I mean, it, it's the idea of flipping a coin. If I flip a coin a hundred thousand times, you would expect that it lands on heads uh, 50,000 times. But what could happen is it could land on heads 99,900 times. And but every single time, it's the the 50-50 chance of whether it's going to be heads or tails. So I've got markets that have been fantastic for me where it works and I send mail and it produces like crazy. I've had markets that have done jack shit of I've sent four or five, 10,000 mailers and I've gotten absolutely nothing. And I've had individual letters that I've sent that have given me five or 10 deals that skew the average, yep. which is why... Just in general, uh, whenever you're looking at anything, a median is a more important number than an average, mm -hmm. and uh, we should maybe just do a whole show on statistics. Oh, please, we we could do the name it the Sports Illustrated curse regression to, regression to the mean. Uh, but maybe swimsuit edition. <laughs> yes, I'll wear a swimsuit. Perfect. Okay, I, let's let's get off the of statistics. Anything else you want to say on any of these topics, Mason? It's what. What Dan and I have brag about when we're talking about the day in the life of the, the full-time investor, the entrepreneur, is we create our own schedules here. And we have forced ourselves to do this because it is in alignment with our goals of what we're wanting to achieve. But with that being said, it's January. Um, I was in Mexico at the beginning of December. I was in Breckenridge for a week. I'm going to Mexico next week. Uh, Dan has been traveling to California and back uh, pretty consistently and is going on a trip next week. Of uh, There is a lot of beauty in this, and the reason that we're able to do this and travel and do work in different places is because of all these consistent things that we do. And while when we're traveling, for the most part, we're attempting to disconnect to a certain degree, but I'm bringing my computer with me and I'm going to continue focusing on those lead metrics while I'm doing all these fun things because it allows me to do it. So uh, it's not all just hard work. Um, the hard work is very, very fruitful. And that's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about being able to own your own business and set your own schedule and set your own goals where if you're like me and what I'm attempting to do, of I'm going to try and do all to do all of my work in the first week of the month. And so the rest of the month, I can just fight fires and, uh, focus on working on the business. Um, so that's one of the huge benefits of being very effective with time management. Well, and, and a corollary to all of that is being really intentional about those things that you never, never miss on. Because there are plenty of weeks, especially around snowboard season, where I don't work that much. But the work that I do is the essential tasks that move the business forward and ultimately make money. And, and so many people talk about how much they're working which is a stupid thing to be proud of, say that to anyone. Uh, but most of what they're doing is useless. I mean, I could uh, uh, do a lot of mundane 
administrative crap and and work 12 hours a day. But most of that doesn't drive the business forward nor produce any substantial revenue. And so taking that time to step back, pull those essential lead measures out of your business, put them on your calendar and never miss them is really the whole point of this conversation uh, because that is what will ensure that, you know, three, six, nine months from now, you're going to make much. You're exactly right. I think, I think we uh, drive, drove, driven, drove the point home of uh, kind of what it, what it looks like in our day-to-day life. Of most of it is in the morning, focusing on hitting the lead metrics. And then uh, after that, it's dealing with the normal day-to-day operations and uh, everything that comes up, being a business owner, working on a lot of different businesses. And then in order to really move the vision forward, uh, get out of your consistent environment and go somewhere new, go somewhere fun, go somewhere different to allow yourself to um, escape and think differently. But uh, I hope that uh, this is useful uh, to whether you are in the process of leaving your W-2 job and wanting to be a sole entrepreneur or you're a current business owner owning a small business or a large business. I think it's applicable to everything that we're talking about. This is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercost with the Big Picture Blueprint signing off. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.